Now the rest of us turn our attention to God's word. We seek to receive it with joy-filled reverence and sober humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin prepares our hearts and minds to do that. Let's read it together. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Esteem wisdom and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. This morning's scripture reading is taken from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, as we turn to uh, this, this passage this morning, I hope that James has been both uh, challenging, con convicting, but also comforting and, and uplifting and clarifying in your life. This morning, we, uh, James continues his, his thought. Actually, it's, it's a continuation where he's been speaking of the tongue last uh, this, in, in the first part of the chapter. Here he continues to talk about the idea of wisdom and, and how to lead well. So before, and, and, and to do that, what I want to do actually is I need a volunteer from the, uh, from the, uh, the churchers, preferably a junior high or high schooler. Not, not one of my own, but, oh, Logan, come on up, buddy. Excellent. Wonderful. Let's see, Logan. Let's see. This is going to involve money like usual, just to keep things interesting. Let's see what I've got here. I've got a 20. That's not bad. I've got a 20. That, that'll work, right? So... Um, Logan, let's see. What I want to do, you, know, you can't look over here, by the way. You can't look at my, my thing. This is not allowed. So I've got here a $20 bill. Okay. And then I've also got here, look at this other one. This is a $50,000 bill. Okay. Which, which one would you want? The $20 bill or the $50,000 bill? Well, I mean, the real one. The real one. <laughs> no, I don't know. I said the $20 bill or the $50,000. Which one? Do you want, are you sure? Wait, wait, which one? Hold on, you were doing better. You were doing better before. So which one? Which one? Which, which one do you want? 20. But, but this one has, it says 50,000 on it. But why wouldn't you want 50,000 over 20? It's fake. Well, well, hold on. They're, they're the same shape. They're about the same weight. Oh, similar shape. Similar, well, same shape, but almost the same size. Similar weight. They both have similar ink on it. Well, this one doesn't have ink on this side. But, but that's Bill of Ink, and they both have, like, you know, it looks pretty, it looks, it looks the same. So why would you want 20 over 50,000? Again, because it's real. it's real. Okay, so think about that. There is something, what is it, what would you call this? Yeah, counter, it's play money, it's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. Okay, so which do you want again? The real one. 
All right, go for it. You got the real, real one. All right, Logan, a round of applause here. Go ahead. Logan, it was the easy money at church this morning. Easy money, excellent. Okay, listen, our world is a world of counterfeits. Think about this. We, every day, we, we go around and we, we see on the news, we see on, on, on media, we see in advertising all manner of, of, of people who claim to know the truth. They claim to know the way. Um, think, think, of, think of just the ways that uh, the whole dieting world engages in what's called science. Now, either science says, or scientists say, or doctors say this. And you know it's a commercial, you know they're trying to, to, you know, to make money. And, and how often we see, and, and we, we actually follow and believe various dieting plans, or we follow various ways that, that are, you know, various uh, um, plans or routines that are designed to improve our health, only to realize that at the end of the day, they don't work. And that's the world we live in. It's a world of counterfeit. And if you are curious about Christianity, if you, if you are thinking, hey, what is this whole thing about Christianity? And as you get into it, one thing you will begin to see, I hope you will see this, but one thing that you'll, you will see uh, from the beginning through, uh, throughout Scripture is that Scripture calls the Christian to live in a way to follow a wisdom that is highly countercultural highly counterintuitive. In fact, let me just take you, let me just show you three brief passages in the Bible. First one, the first one's in the Psalms, I'm sorry, in the in Proverbs. Turn to, turn to Proverbs, it's page 543. I'm going to follow along here, page 543. This is such an important, again, I'm not asking you to agree with this, I just want you to see that in Scripture, there's this constant call to a counterintuitive wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Again, that's page 543, chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So that faith is actually the opposite of trusting in self. Think about that for a moment. There's this notion of a wisdom that is actually very counterintuitive. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Turn to the New Testament. Turn to the, uh, the Gospel of Luke. It's interesting. Luke chapter 10. This is on page 892 in your pew Bible. Page 892. This is even more amazing. Jesus is actually speaking to his disciples here. Chapter 10, verse 21. He says these words. At that time, we read, Luke says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, listen to this, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus is saying, actually, there are mysteries, there are truths, there is a wisdom that is not only unknown to the wise and to the learned, but actually hidden from the wise and the learned. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus is like, wow, that's so cool. There's a wisdom that actually is, because in, in the Bibles we'll see, wisdom is a gift. True wisdom is not something that we naturally have. You don't just come out of the womb, just, you just know how to live life. It's not found on Oprah, it's not found on Dr. Phil, it's not found within me, it's this gift from outside. And we're going to see this, this idea of, of a fake wisdom uh, contrasted with a, a wisdom that is for real. And then finally, so that's, that's the Old Testament Proverbs. Here's Jesus in Luke. Now we need to hear the words of Paul. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's found on page uh, 981, 981 of your, your pew Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm sorry, it's actually on the next page. Is that right? No, it's actually, it is about the bottom of the page there. Verse 18 of chapter 3, Paul writes to the Corinthian Christians, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you, if any, I'm sorry, if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become a fool so that you may become wise. Do you see that? He's saying, look, if you think that you are smart by the standards of this world, if you think you have an earthly wisdom, a this-worldly wisdom, if you want to follow Christ, you need to become a fool, in quotes, you need to become someone who in the world's eyes is actually foolish in order to become truly wise. So the idea here is that, it's a very simple idea, that throughout Scripture, we're seeing this idea that again and again, the way of Christianity, the way of the Bible, is very contrary to the way of the world. Now, now, how is how is that the case? What, what does that mean? Okay, how, how, are, how are these two? How is that presented to us? We'll turn back to James, and as, as Nancy read for us in James, we see this idea, these, this contrast of two kinds of wisdom. Okay, that first kind of wisdom is called earthly wisdom. Do you see that there? Earthly wisdom. And the, the, but the other kind is called a heavenly wisdom. Verse 15 says, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. We'll talk about that, what it means. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, and he describes what that is. So these two forms of wisdom, they're a counterfeit wisdom. One's are for real, one is fake. And the distinguishing, one of the distinguishing features of, of a counterfeit is that it shares so many similarities, but just in the wrong order. And that is exactly the case for wisdom. Let me give you an example. It's a very real, just recently, uh, my wife Sarah put me onto a book that was written eight or 10 years ago. It's called Marry Him. Marry Him. It's written by a woman to women. And the subtitle is Settling for Mr. Good Enough. And the book is a fascinating read. This woman, uh, she's uh, a Jewish, a Jewish uh, ethnicity. She is, uh, at the time of writing, she's early 40s. And she talks about how, how she decided, as a feminist, to be empowered. And that meant pursuing career. It meant, uh, it meant having high standards. It meant never settling for anything less than the best. It meant oh, believing that you could have it all. And she said, I lived that. I plotted every aspect of my life, including my love life. I can have it all. I won't lower my standards. And I deserve to have that. And she writes at 41 as someone who is incredibly alone, full of regret, having missed so many opportunities of guys who really were great. She tells the story of a young woman named Jessica, who at, at 22 was at four years into a relationship with a, a man that she madly loved. He proposed. She said, she said, look, you are amazing. You're great. There's nothing wrong with you, but I haven't lived life yet. I haven't established my career. I don't know my identity yet. So, sorry. He was broken hearted. He cut it off. He said, I, I can't interact. I don't want to just, I need time. 
She, they went their separate ways. Two, three years later, she kept dating various guys, and she would always compare every guy she met to that one. Until finally one day, she talked to her girlfriends about him. Like, I'm going to call him up. I'm going to recontact him. They're like, no, he's so yesterday. You'll find someone else. Don't bother. And then sure enough, she's like, six months later, she did anyway. She called him up. He answered the phone. She said, when he answered the phone, I knew. She said, I was at home. I was at home. But of course, they started talking, and he was already in a, a very seriously, a very, in a serious relationship. And they soon got married and actually had a children, a child, a, a baby boy soon thereafter. And she said, I missed out. I missed out. And it's amazing that the woman in the book goes on to say, she said, the problem is not that women out there don't know that integrity and that commitment and that honesty are important qualities. They know that. The problem is that they want all these other, uh, all these other characteristics, all these attributes right up there with it. So, instead, so my point is that this, this counterfeit wisdom is the wisdom that says, oh yeah, these things are important. You know, integrity, commitment, honesty, but also a square jaw. Also rugged good looks. Also fun, playful. Also funny. All of these, all of these things have to be there all together. And there's not a ranking. There's, not, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a complete confusion in the priority and importance of all of those good things. All, all of those things are good. But a worldly wisdom, a counterfeit wisdom, is one that confuses the priority of good things and therefore is deeply misled. And we'll see that a little more as we get into the text here. So in this, in this very much, uh, we live, the point is that we live in a very counterfeit world of counterfeit counsel. And this morning, I want us to see what true wisdom is. And, and James does that so well for us. First, I want you to hear this. True wisdom works. True wisdom works. Look there in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds or works done in the humility that comes from wisdom. See, true wisdom, isn't, true wisdom is actually about sweat. True wisdom is not about a soapbox. It's not about even straight A's. True wisdom works. And he says, who's wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by how they live their life. True wisdom is far more about diligence than intelligence. It's shown, true wisdom is shown, not merely known. I can think of a young man who was in his eighth grade year. He took the SAT and scored just off the charts, almost a perfect score. In fact, he was, he was awarded by, he was given an award by the governor uh, not in Missouri, but another state. Uh, and he was, he was just a, a brilliant young man. And uh, he um, went through high school, breezed through, and then got, got a full-ride scholarship to uh, a state university and a stipend, the best scholarship they had. And, and just decided, you know, as he was going through it, he decided that he would, um, he would get involved with friends, doing their fun, the fun activities they had. And uh, just, 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 that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a friend. And he's got less and less interest in school. And he walked away from a full-ride scholarship. Just, phew, done. Parents were so brokenhearted. I mean, we're talking thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. Highly intelligent. A lot of intelligence. No diligence. That's not wisdom. It's not wisdom. True wisdom works 
never forget the, the Regis professor of Hebrew at Cambridge University. I can remember interacting with him. Professor Gordon was his name. Just an incredible guy. And I remember in, interacting with him, and he expressed concern about a certain PhD student not being able to finish. And, and like another student, I just kind of paused, and we were kind of like, like, oh my goodness, like he just said that so and so might not be able to finish. And, and we, we just assumed that there was, the guy wasn't smart enough or whatever. And he said, and, and, and the other student said, well, well um, what, what, about, what about me? Do you think I'll be able to finish? <laughs> and, uh, and Professor Gordon said, yes, you show up at your desk every day. That's what it took to finish a PhD. It's a lot more about diligence than intelligence. True wisdom works. And wisdom, is, as Jesus says, is proven right by her children. Wisdom works. And that's what's so scary about this. I mentioned this, this story back, back to this, this book, Marry Her. This young lady at 22 saying no to this man. It is only through life, the living of life, that wisdom is shown to be true. That's what James is saying here. And, in the, and by the time that we have embraced a counterfeit wisdom, it is too late before we discover that it's fake. It's too late. James is saying wisdom works. It works. It shows what it is by what it does. So true wisdom works. But what is it working for? What is it doing? True wisdom works for others' welfare. That's the second point. First, true wisdom works. Second, true wisdom works for others' welfare. Again, in the first verse there, in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. And here the NIVs, this is a fair translation, but actually a better translation would be, would be by their good or by their noble conduct. By their noble conduct. And this idea of noble conduct, of the good life, is, 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 is the idea of conduct that is actually for the good of the community. The true wisdom works for good conduct, for, for good public concern, for noble actions. So wisdom works, but what's it working for? For others' welfare. It, wisdom is actually concerned about others. Yesterday, I sent, out, I sent out to the congregation an article from Christianity Today that talked about the epidemic of loneliness in America. Right, that striking line that I included in the email, quote, loneliness has the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, making it even more dangerous than obesity. Isn't that amazing? That all around us, people are living lives of such loneliness. And you know what's so hard? You know, when it comes to a, a cigarette, it, it's got a, there's, a, there's an intentionality there. Right? You're choosing to smoke. Right? And not only is there, inten- there, is there a, a chosenness and intentionality, there's also a, a, a tangibility. It's tangible. It's, it's concrete. You can see. I can go to the store. I can buy a cigarette and hold up my hand and smoke it. But loneliness is far more dangerous. One, it's, very few people choose loneliness. Loneliness is unchosen. And unlike cigarettes, loneliness is it's intangible. It's subtle. People slowly move to places of loneliness, and they end up there without knowing it. And what's so dangerous about loneliness is that it, it's like a frog in the kettle. Just slowly over time, you get lonelier and lonelier, and pretty soon you get into binds. Life gets overwhelming, financial challenges, uh, relational issues, health issues, and you find yourself all alone. And that's where so many people are. 
and, 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 and the, the article's on to say just literally, that it, is a, it is an epidemic public health concern in America. True wisdom works, and it works for the welfare of others. It, it engages in their life. It calls them out of their loneliness. It welcomes them. True wisdom is for the welfare of others. Recent, I came across recently a wonderful story of a, of, a, of a cab driver who picked up an elderly woman. I think she was, I want to say, early 90s. And, she, oh no, and, and she was, he was driving her to the bank to draw out an incredibly large sum of money. This is what the woman said to him. And, 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 and he, he said, well, he, she started just explaining that she had gotten a phone call from the IRS saying that, they, that she owed them $25,000. And then he, he me, the cab driver, was like, wait a minute, I'm sorry, but just, just I don't think, are you sure this is for real? And she, she, and she was, was certain of it. I got a phone call from this guy, and it's very, very official, and he had this title and all whatever. And he actually, I mean, she would not believe him, and he actually drove, ended up driving her to the police station to actually you know, get the cops to help, help him persuade her that this was an entire, was a hoax. And sure enough, the cops were able to do it, and it saved her $25,000. Because he was so concerned. He was concerned about the welfare of others. That's wisdom. Wisdom works for the welfare of others. And, but, but what's so important, as James goes on to say here, is that true wisdom works. It works for the welfare of others. But next, it works for the welfare of others without having to win. Without having to win. This is so interesting. Look what he says next. He says, uh, verse 13, 13 again, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. That word humility, it's translated gentleness, it's translated meekness. There is a meekness and a humility that comes from wisdom. And it's a meekness, it's, 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 it's a meekness that doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be in control, but it doesn't have to win. And it's contrasted in verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, or you could translate it rivalry, if you harbor envy and rivalry in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. He actually saying, look, there's a kind of wisdom of the world, and that, wis that worldly wisdom is a, is a wisdom that says you've got to win. It's all about winning. See, this true wisdom is the wisdom that's for the welfare of others. But the worldly wisdom says, look out for number one. You've got, it's all a race. Life is a race, and you have got to win. And this, this as we enter this Sunday, into the, this is the first Sunday of Lent, we can, we can think about the idea of Jesus Christ in the wilderness for 40 days. And in that time, there is this debate, this raging debate between, between Satan and the Son of God, between Jesus. And they're, they're arguing over about the nature of what it means to be the Son of God. And for Satan, being the Son of God is all about, being, about winning. It's about, well, I'm the Son of God, so I should, I should be provided for. I'm the Son of God, so I should have popularity. I'm the Son of God, so I should get to do whatever I want. And Jesus says, no, you've completely misunderstood what it means to be the Son of God. Being the Son of God is having power, yes, but it's power to sacrifice. Power to go without food. Power to go without privilege, without prestige. 
power to not be in control, power to actually submit to the will of another. And it's in this time of Lent that Jesus shows his power by his ability to be irrelevant, to be meek. In fact, we saw it this morning in our call to worship. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I am often translated gentle and humble. It's meek, it's the same word here, meek and humble. Jesus doesn't have to be a big deal. Wisdom doesn't have to be a big deal. Wisdom is so strong, it's so, it's so, um, it's so, it's so, it understands, we're going to talk about this in a second, it understands who's in control, and so it doesn't have to win. True wisdom works. It works for the welfare of others, and it works without needing or having, or having to win. There's a humility of wisdom. Just in a, in a little bit here, as we go through our, our, our communion, uh, Emily will be singing a song called New Wine. And the words go like this. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil, I now surrender. You are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. That's wisdom. There's a meekness to wisdom. Wisdom works. It works for the welfare of others. And it works without having to win. And James actually goes on to contrast this, the, the heavenly wisdom with a wor- a, this worldly wisdom that wants to win. Again, it's in verse 14. He talks about harboring bitter envy and selfish ambition, rivalry in your hearts. He says, don't boast about it or deny it. So verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. See, James is actually talking about a way of living in the ancient world that was very prominent. It was all about rivalry and, and, and uh, competing for honor, competing for status. Cicero, uh, who lived right around the same time frame as James, as Cicero writes these words, by nature, listen to this, by nature we yearn for honor. And once we've glimpsed some part of it, some part of its radiance, there is nothing that we are not prepared to bear or suffer in order to secure it. So there's a sense of honor. Let me give you an example. You'll know what I mean. When I, was at the, when I, went, to, I went to a military academy for my undergrad years, and there it was all about honor. It was all about status. It was all about being a big deal. It was all about being a fast burner, about moving up the chain quickly. It was all about competition. And wisdom was, was learning how to win. It's the same in the work world. It's the same in the corporate world. So much of our world, it is about winning. And here's the thing, and this is what's so insightful about what James says here, verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. Because here's how it works, gang. When, when life is about winning, you're constantly competing and comparing and when you see what others have, you want what they have. And you're, you're constantly thinking, oh, I need to win. I need to have what they have. And when you need to have what they have in order to have honor, you're willing to do anything to get it. And what you do is you actually begin to see yourself in the standards that you must meet. I need to be beautiful. I need to be smart. I need to be fast. I need to be all of these things. And what happens when you can't be all those things is that there's a shame a shame, a sense of self-loathing. I'm not smart enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not good enough. 
And in that shame, all manner of things come out of that. We retreat into false refuges of alcohol, of pornography, or whatever, because we simply can't deal with the false shame that we don't measure up to standards that are already impossible. Do you see what I'm saying? So, 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 what, 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 so what, what James is saying here is that there's a worldly wisdom that must win, and when it can't win, it leads to all manner of self-destructive, and, uh, and, and, and not only destructive to self, but destructive to others, all manner of actions and behavior patterns that are deeply disordering, deeply destructive. So again, that, and, that's, and I just remember that, I remember that at the academy, I just remember the times when I would not measure up, I want to be faster, smarter, better, and I would retreat, retreat into pornography, retreat into just self-pity, retreat into just all manner of just, just you just check out. Just, I'm just so done. And you go and live in a certain, because you, we are, we're following a wisdom that is of the world, a, war, a, a wisdom that calls us to win at all costs, a, war, a, a wisdom that says we must have a stand, we must meet a standard that is actually impossible to meet, where James is calling us away to a true wisdom, a wisdom of meekness, a wisdom that doesn't have to win, a wisdom that simply works quietly for the welfare of others without having to win. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Finally, he, in verses 17 and 18, he, he, he sort of gives us this, this sort of litany of, of words that describe what true wisdom is. And, he, he, and, and every single one of these terms in verse 17 has to do with the idea of creating community. Look at there in verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Let me just pick out a few of these. First, he says that true wisdom is conciliatory. Look there. He says it's peaceable. It's peace-loving. He says, true wisdom is all about resolving conflict. I can tell you how many people I've come across in ministry who regret, who regret not having tried to work harder on relationships, who regret not forgiving, who, for, who, who regret not confessing. True wisdom prioritizes peacemaking. So true wisdom is first conciliatory. But second, true wisdom is considerate. See that word considerate there? It's such a beautiful word. True wisdom really considers others. See, it's community building. It looks around the room and says, hmm, how are the Roushes doing? How are the Van Hookies doing? How's Kathy doing? How's Walt? They're considering, thoughtful, Maybe I should go talk to them, see how they're doing, and really know them, so I can, I, can, I can work, I can work for their welfare. So first, w this wisdom is conciliatory. It's considerate. Next, it's, it's, it's cooperative. Look at the words. I think it's translated by NIV, submissive. Submissive doesn't mean, like, I'm just going to do whatever you say. It means cooperative. I'm willing to work with you. It's just, to be, to be part of a community is to realize that you can't always have everything your way. You're actually going to be part of something bigger. And so, you know what? I, I don't really, I'm not really on board with this, but I'll, I'll go along. I don't really want to do this so much, but I'll go along. Because you're part of a community. That's wisdom. And you, you participate even when you know, you know, your heart's not really in it. You know, I'm just going to show. I'm going to go ahead and go. 
So wisdom is conciliatory, it's considered, it's cooperative, and finally, it's compassionately committed. Look at that, that phrase, full of mercy. This word mercy has this very complex idea of, of compassion and commitment. To be merciful to someone isn't just to be like, oh, hey, I'm so sorry, I feel so bad for you. Here, mercy is this idea, I'm committed to you, I'm going to walk with you in this hard time. And true wisdom is full of mercy. It's compassionately committed. So gang, what is true wisdom? True wisdom works. It works. It works for the welfare of others. It works without needing to have to win, without needing to win. And it does so with this beautiful, these beautiful characteristics of being conciliatory, considerate, cooperative, and committed. But why, why is that true wisdom? Why does true wisdom not have to win? Because it knows the one who will win. That is so important. True wisdom knows who's going to win. And it's, it's, it's underneath everything that James is actually saying here. For those of you who are, who are, who are reading through uh, Tim Keller's daily devotional on, from Proverbs know that, that wisdom is all about the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is about this idea of recognizing that there's a God and that his actions and his decisions are final. And so true wisdom is a wisdom that can actually look in the face of those who are greater than, and just, and just sort of have a relaxed stance. Because it knows who's going to win. And we actually see this in Jesus' own life. We see it at, at, his, um, at his trial. At his trial there, he's got you know, the whole process from the Sanhedrin to being brought before Herod and Pilate. Through, in every scene, he is calm, cool, and collected. It's amazing. Sometime read through that section and see how Jesus, he, it looks as though he is this epitome of failure. It looks as though he, just, he's, he's, he has no control whatsoever. It looks as though that everyone seems to be winning except for him. And the whole time, gang, he's got a smirk on his face because he knows who's going to win. True wisdom, it works. It doesn't have to understand. It doesn't make sense. It just simply goes to work. It works, and it works for the welfare of others. Not needing to win. Why? Because it knows the one who will win. The Proverbs say, there is no insight, no wisdom, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you know how many kings, pharaohs, emperors have tried to defy the Lord and they end up nowhere? They end up losing. No one, no one follows Nero today. No one follows Caesar today. They follow one king. And it's the one who came riding on a donkey in meekness and humility. The humility of wisdom. I, find, I don't know about you, but I just find James here so life-giving. Because my every bent of my heart is to want to win. It's to want it to be, it's to have rivalry, ambition, it's to get my way. And James is saying, that is the path to exhaustion. It's the path to defeat. 
And here he's calling us to a, a freedom, a beautiful freedom that leaves life to the Lord and simply sets, rolls up its sleeves and sets to work. Working for the welfare of others without ever needing to win. Because it knows the one who will. You know, Jesus at his, um, Jesus at his, uh, his uh, trial, so we read these words. It's such a beautiful, I just, I'll, read, I'll conclude with these words and we'll move to the Lord's Supper. We read this, that throughout the trial, Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, you have said so. Listen to this. But I tell all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the, test, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? If you're the Messiah, you should know my name, should prophesy my name. And this is a picture of utter defeat, and yet Jesus' words prove true. It would be more than about 30, 35 years later when the Roman armies would surround Jerusalem and the whole thing would be raised to the ground. Jesus gave his life believing that he knew who would win. Was he wrong? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, if we turn to the supper, we are amazed at Jesus' wisdom. A wisdom of one who knew, who, under, who could see through the, the, the fake powers of this world, religious and political and economic. He could see through them to you, to our Heavenly Father, to one whose plans and purposes will always stand. Oh, Father, we are amazed. We are amazed this morning to, to, to see how you are a God who is working your purposes th through all manner of evil, through all manner of hardship, through all manner of pain. Father, how beautiful it is that we can be your people. Father, this morning, as we, uh, as we look to this, this beautiful supper, we realize, Father, that it is a place for sinners. Father, it is a place for those who cannot get their lives together. It is a place of peace. It is a place of hope. And Father, I, we pray this morning that you would remind us of the wisdom of the cross, a wisdom that frees us to be meek, to be humble, to not to have to win. Oh Lord, please meet us now at your table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.